Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. I am Alex Bullimore and there is a whole host of topics to cover this week, uh, including the cup win against Rotherham, tomorrow's game against West Brom, our ongoing endeavours in the January transfer window and of course AFCON R's. Uh, so joining me to discuss all of this is Dan Lambert and Lucas Ross. Guys, welcome back. Even evening, evening, Alex, evening, Matt, even Dan. Okay, so later on, uh, the guys will be making a few suggestions, or just one suggestion, on who we should be signing and why this transfer window. But first, let's talk penalties, Rotherham and the Cup. Both of you were at the game. How much did you enjoy it? Um, it, 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 it was okay. It really wasn't, to be honest, I didn't have great hopes going into it. I thought it'd be slightly enjoyable. Obviously, the lineup came up, fairly strong lineup from, from both sets of sides. But it really didn't live up to, to what I had hoped it would it would be rather than what I thought it would. Lucas, what did you think? Did you enjoy the game Ooh. much? Um, up until the 110th minute, to be honest. No, not really. Um Obviously, Yodoma played very, very well, but up until the 110th minute especially, which, for those who aren't very sure, it's 20 minutes into extra time, um, it was pretty dire, to be honest. Um, especially in that first 20 minutes, it, it was awful. Lack of cohesion, lack of communication. And then, with five minutes left, we score clearly over the line, as replay showed. And then and then we took it to penalties and then eight and then eight really good penalties send us through. Um so yeah, penalties again for what the third or fourth time this season in the cup. Where does this rank for penalty performances amongst the other ones? It's quite good to be fair. Um from both from both sets. I thought Rotherham, Rotherham took some nice penalties as well. Um it was quite um nervy well, we thought we'd well, I thought at least we had it once. Um, I think they missed their third penalty, but then Dazelle missed and it um, kind of got a bit cagey. But it was it was it was an okay set of penalties to be fair. Yeah, that was one of the few bits I actually managed to w- watch because I was uh, again at work for this game. I couldn't be bothered to go, um, which says your it kind of shows the enthusiasm we have for the FA Cup at the moment with the sort of lack of availability in the squad. But BBC. Uh, showed it on final score because it was the only game to go to penalties I think at the time so managed yeah, to watch was. the full penalty shootout and it was slightly nerve-wracking um, you know the, the whole game they'd barely come to our, our ground at all they'd not really mentioned us understandable really based on what you guys have just said in the fact that you know Cambridge were beating Newcastle and there was that crazy game involving, involving uh, Barnsley and was it Barrow? Yeah, it Barrow. Kept on going. I, like it was like three, two, three, all, four, all, five. <laughs> it was just goals going in left, right, and centre there. Yeah. Uh, so understandable, maybe that they didn't come to us, but slightly frustrating from mine and my dad's point of view when we were just sitting there not finding out any information about us at all. Um, but yeah, it what did seem to be quite a boring one. Um, I, I was quite disappointed at Dazelle's penalty, really. Um, you just think, like Dan says, that's the moment to wrap it up, and it's quite a soft one. I think the rest of them were pretty good, though, weren't they? Uh, yeah, not really missing the mark. Much better than Sunderland. Um, yeah, for sure. Any issues with uh, the eleven that was chosen? Is this too strong, or like like we said last week, is there realistically no one else that we can bring in? Um, I think it was. I think it was good enough. I think Thomas Dan would like to hear this. I think Thomas had quite a good game. Was a bit of a, was a bit of a threat going forward. Put some good balls in. Perhaps unlucky not to grab him an assist. I think. Um, but I think. I think Thomas played well. Adoma had another blind. Eh? He was brilliant. Um, I think it was good to see Aaron Drew as well. He he's actually fast. Um, and I brought my mate to the game and. I think he said he said that Adoma was man in the match, and I said that Adoma would either get a goal or an assist, and he got an assist. Dan, what do you think? 
Um, I thought the 11 was certainly good enough to, to win it within the full 90. Um, obviously, what, two, two experienced championship strikers up top, a bit of rotation elsewhere. Um, like you said, I thought Adoma did play well. I thought he grew. He, he had a slow start, but I thought he grew into the game, especially in the second half. Um, but no, I was I was pleased with the lineup. I mean, we know Warburton takes the cup seriously, so there wasn't gonna, really going to be a very weak side. Um, you mentioned two experienced strikers there. Well, one of them decided he was going to sit in the stands. So for those that weren't at the game, me, uh, can you explain what happened? Well, I didn't even know what happened until um, everyone started muttering about it. Obviously, he got subbed off. He was on the other side of the um, the pitch at the time. And then... This all is Charlie of a Austin, by the way. We haven't actually mentioned it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It sorry. was Austin. Yeah. <laughs> it was Austin. Worried who and, it was. Um, yeah, he he just got off the walked off the pitch at the uh, nearest exit and then just started lunging like lunging up the stairs and then just plunked, plunked himself in the in the stands in the LSE, um road stand. I mean, it was very awkward when he decided twenty minutes after after he'd finished sitting down there that he like sheepishly walked over to uh, to the dugout. Yeah, it was a, it was a weird one. So, was his performance that bad? Like, was it? warrant of a was he playing well enough to sort of sulk on the sidelines but did he deserve to carry on in your guys opinion what's the mm. issue I thought he was okay I didn't think he was anything special he didn't I think there was there was a few attacks in the first half where he linked well with Thomas I think it was the the one where Gray missed the volley where it, where it came up flicked up to him and the um the keeper saved it Although Gray missed a few, well, he def- definitely missed the sister in the second half, and he missed a few good chances in the first. I think I do think Gray was the better uh, of the two in that game, um, but yeah, I suppose with his minutes, what limited in the league behind Dykes, Gray is probably going to get a bit more when he's when he's um, consistently fit. I thought perhaps he thinks that this was the chance to probably get a full ninety and uh, get get the odd goal. Yeah. Um, and then we obviously we have this sort of thing afterwards with the West London Sport. I don't know what you can call it. Is it a vodcast? Does it a video podcast or whatever they do? Well, you know, Kevin Gallen says some things about performances and specifically mentions Gray and says that it was, did he say his performance was disgraceful? Uh, no, that was Ian. Ian said that. Uh, right. Gallen picked, Gallen picked up on his... Uh body language and throwing his arms about yeah my dad's been picking up on that a lot so he's not alone I, d- I don't I don't know if you can't I mean Gallen's a Gallen's an ex-striker he's not a not a body language expert is he I mean no. I don't <laughs> neither is my dad we, I, I, I highlighted his performance against Birmingham and he I thought he was one of our best players off the ball he runs he works his socks off he does all right you, you moan and you throw you throw your arms about here and there because you're frustrated but isn't that what most footballers do? Uh, yep. He was, he, yeah, he worked, I thought he worked hard um, on Saturday. I, th- I thought he's one of our best best um, strikers off the ball, at least. Yep. I didn't, I didn't think he was near uh, anywhere near a disgrace. If I'm being honest. What was the sort of issue with it being? You know, if he throws his arms about a bit, mo- has a bit of a moan. What's really the issue there? Because. You know, in comparison, Charlie Austin did sulk on the side of the pitch like a 12-year-old. You know, players do weird things on the pitch. Jamie Vardy used to punch himself if he missed a, a chance. Like, you know, the players do weird things. Moaning isn't the worst thing. It, like, surely it shows that he cares a little bit, doesn't it? Like, rather than yeah. just having he's, he's no reaction. He's frustrated. Yeah. He's had... He'll he, know himself he should have scored that one in the second half and it should have scored that game. Um, and he was rightly, rightly to be frustrated. I mean, he's a good, he's a good striker. He hasn't had, he hasn't had a consistent run of starts like, like Dykes has this season. Albeit Dykes has been injured in recent months. So if you give him, if you give him five starts, I reckon he'll get firing. Yep. Um, so let's talk about the next tie. It's Peterborough away. We've got another chance to beat them at their place. Uh, does this tie fourth round get you really excited? Not really. It's a bit. It's a bit grim, to be honest. Peter Barra just brings grim. Peter Barra, you're just associated with it being grim. It's, it's, it's the fifth worst place to live in the UK, according to something released by the Sun today. And um, I think 
am I looking forward to it? I'm only looking forward to it because I'm I'll be going because it's on my birthday weekend, so that gets me excited. Um, but I think it, it is it winnable. Mm, I think it is. So I think Peterborough is a side who who we can beat. Um, probably have to score a corner against them, but I think we'll probably we'll probably beat them and get through to the fifth round where hopefully we'll get one of the big boys. But what and do I know? What What was the uh feelings when we got Peterborough drawn out of the hat? Um, probably the same as Rotherham the last round. It's an okay draw. Um, I don't think it's the worst one you can get, but it's not not the best by any means. Um, just another similar-ish quality side. Um, they're a decent outfit, Peterborough, and it should be like Luke said, a decent away day for those going. So it's not the end of the world, but I'd have probably liked a, a top six side. Yeah, I guess the feeling is that it's winnable on paper. Uh, again, oh, whether we actually need another cup run is up for debate. But w- winning breeds success, and you know, it's a, it, it gets you into the habit. So I don't mind going and winning another game against, against Peterborough if we do it. Obviously, they showed last time that when we didn't perform to our best, they'll pick us off and they'll take advantage of that. Um, so it's going to be an interesting one in the sense that there'll be a few, hopefully a few more players fitter again. So we would have more chance to rotate the squad, perhaps see a few more January additions play and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a bit boring in a very boring round of fixtures for the FA Cup. Obviously mentioned the two. Uh, there was the Kidderminster game against Reading, which was brilliant because you know Kidderminster being the lowest-ranked team, all that is fantastic. And you know, seeing the Reading keeper play absolutely shocking is also really nice. But um, it, it was a it was an okay round. The third round, it really sort of get started to get a bit dull towards the end. Uh, and I think the fourth round just sort of says the same thing. Like I've looked at the TV picks. It's Man United, Middlesbrough, Kidderminster versus West Ham, Tottenham, Brighton, Liverpool, Cardiff, Nottingham, Leicester, and Bournemouth versus Boring Wood. Um, you know, I guess Liverpool does get views and Man United will get views as well. But I'd never understand the desperate need to put on another Premier League game. Like, why do we need to watch Tottenham versus Brighton? Possibly again. Like it doesn't. Well, they already they already missed out on the Kidderminster upset against Reading, which yeah. I thought should have been on TV in the first place. But surely, as a TV broadcaster, you have a right, or you should have a responsibility uh, to show those non-league sides when they do get a big team on that yeah. chance of an upset instead of watching Man United versus Aston Villa. Like, yeah. What was the point? I've, of- I've I've got a bit of an unpopular opinion here. I think it should be that if any. Any side in the non-league get gets a team in the championship or higher it has to be on ten. It has to be televised like this. It has to be on television automatically because it's it's going to attract views. A side which very few people have heard of, to be honest, up until last November, I hadn't even heard of Marine until they got drawn up against Tottenham, um, and not, that was rightly televised. Um, I think Kidderminster Reading should have been televised. Um, yeah, I think I think it should be a requirement that any long non-league side who get a side in the Premier League or Championship, it should be televised automatically. I think that's how it should be. Because yeah. obviously, if we're looking at the money side of things, not non-league clubs, they've they've been hit hard during COVID, and I think that bringing back some of that lost income because of a tasty cup run is going to help them massively in the mid to long term. Yeah. Um, so. That's uh, I think that's all for Rotherham, isn't it? Nothing else really to say. Pretty boring game. Uh, actually, one one more thing. Just before the goal went in, uh, I was explaining to my dad why I wasn't really interested in uh, winning the in the cup this year and going through to the next round. I was more than happy to go out in the third round yet again. And then uh, no sooner as I said that, the notification said that Dykes had scored and came up and. All that went out the window very quickly. So, you know, just the way it is. Uh, But let's move on to the January transfer window. And we made our first signing of this window uh, in desperate circumstances because we 
whilst talking about the Rotherham game, we failed to mention that our keeper managed to injure himself in the process of saving the winning penalty. So Jordan Archer, unfortunately, he's been sitting on the bench all season, knowing that he will get a chance in the first 11 when Sonny goes away to uh, play for Senegal in AFCON. And in his first game, the poor guy <laughs> gets a bad injury, meaning that we have to go and sign another keeper. Uh, so we've signed David Marshall from Derby, Scottish international and all-round great guy, penalty hero, um, on a contract that runs to the end of the season. What do we think about this one then? Um, it's a pretty good signing. He's got loads of experience. Perhaps could perhaps help Dieng when he gets back um, from AFCON, perhaps mentor Joe Ball should make him a better keeper. Archer, I think, um, while he while he had a decent performance on Saturday, I, I think sad stays out for the season because the injury looks fit. Because while I was walking back to get, the, to get to get to the coach stop, I saw an ambulance pulling up. So that that is already worrying. Um, but that's an aside. Um, I think Marshall, he's a good keeper, knows how to command his box, um, and knows how to make some good saves and. Has quite a well-known charm, which hopefully we can get pumping if he does play well, which fingers crossed he will. Um, but I think it's it's a good, it's a tidy bit of business. He's he knows the league really, really well. He's been promoted before once or twice. I'm not sure the exact number of times he's done it in the Premier League as well. Even though Cardiff got relegated, he, he was still one of you think he was still he still got their player of the season that year, um, 13-14, That is. Um, but I think he's a pretty good keeper, pretty smooth acquisition. And hopefully one who will do well for us in the time that we need him. Dan, any thoughts? Um, I mean, it's, it doesn't it isn't wow you. It's, a, it's an emergency keeper signing. Obviously, like Lucas said, an experienced championship keeper. Um, I don't imagine from the players we were linked with that we had a massive pool of options. I mean, I haven't, I haven't watched him play too much. Uh, but I'd imagine he's a decent shot stopper. Uh, I think we did discuss though um, about his distribution. Did you say that he wasn't Alex? That he wasn't the best distributor of the ball? I don't know. Like I, Scotland didn't really require him to pass out from the back as much, perhaps from what I've seen. It's a bit, bit more sort of hit the ball long for Dykes direct yeah. a lot of the time. Um, I'm sure he's not shocking. I mean, a lot of the ball any time that we would have played out from the back in a sort of sense of the word, would have been trying to get it to Robinson and Tierney to start an attack there. But I don't, I, I don't know. Like we, we, this used to be a really big problem with us, didn't it? Because Lumley wasn't very good at it. And it, Senny's not, not the best, I don't think, but it, it seems to be less of an issue now. Um, uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be my only worry for Marshall. I mean, I'm sure he's a, he'll only be playing for what, six, seven games maybe until the end goes back. But, that would be my only concern. But I have to watch it, whether his distribution's up to standards. I think, yeah, I, to be honest, like, Senny's distribution isn't the best at times, especially the ball out wide to the wing-backs. Um, but he's certainly a lot more comfortable on the ball for those sort of short passes towards uh, the three centre-backs. But to be honest, we're not trying too much... Uh, we, we don't want our play our goalkeepers to be playing like Edison, basically. Like Edison's got the range and ability to go and make whatever pass he wants. I don't think it just doesn't seem to be that much of an issue anymore. Maybe that's because Senny's actually quite good in it, and we don't realise. But I think there's a bit more emphasis on on getting the keeper to roll it out to the one of the three centre backs, and they'll take over the sort of like quarterback roles in a sense of spraying the ball out wide. Um. Would you guys have gone for any of the other options that were sort of presented to ourselves, thinking from that West London Sport article was mentioned, uh, Freddie Woodman, Ben Hamer or Kieran Westwood. We'll see uh, Button at West Brom would have been up and up the top of the list, but was never actually going to come to us because of West Brom's own go- goalkeeping issues and the fact that we needed a goalkeeper basically from this weekend. So from those three Westwood, Hamer, or Woodman? Would you have taken any of them over Marshall? Um, Woodman, po- Woodman, yes. Westwood, possibly. Hamer, absolutely not. To put simply, what about you, Dan? Um, I'd have taken Hamer, obviously in a Russell Martin system. Um, as a higher emphasis on distribution and build up, 
he's an okay shot stopper, but um, I think distribution was probably um, a bigger priority for us. Obviously, when that article came out, I saw numerous QPR fans absolutely over the moon for Woodman, which I was a bit surprised about because, A, it doesn't really suit either party. He'd be coming in for six games and he needs proper game time for the rest of the season. So, and he, I imagine he goes straight to back up for DM. And Woodman isn't isn't very good on the ball at all. Um, he's a brilliant shot stopper, but not good, good on the ball at all. So I'd have gone for Hamer, if anything, but I'm all right with Marshall. Yeah, I think Marshall's more than good enough. I mean, let's be honest, this guy's playing in the Euros. Um, and uh, you could say say what you want about the general quality of the Scotland side, and I see Dan smirking there, but uh, not No, I wasn't too... smirking that. I was smirking about his, his meme during the Euros. Ah, uh, well, we don't need... That wasn't his fault. That was Jack Hendry's fault. So you shouldn't be losing the ball in that position. Um, any goalkeeper could get caught out from there because that's just the way that goalkeepers play now. But... Um, Craig Gordon has come in because Marshall was, I think, retired from international duties after that Euros. Um, and Craig Gordon's come in and he's a fantastic shot stopper. And then the person who's been lined up to replace uh, Craig Gordon is former QPR player, um, who, Liam Kelly. There we go. Uh, he's certainly considered the next one off the rank for Scotland but both of those keepers are more than good enough um, to make them that themselves into the first team for Scotland so the fact that Marshall was keeping them out and he was I think it was said in the week by the Tarleton Scarf podcast I think he's like he's either the fifth or sixth most selected Scotland player under Steve Clark's time. So he's been very successful with Scotland recently. And obviously, you know, with that penalty against Mitrovic has written himself into uh, Scottish footballing folklore and history. So he's more than capable of putting in a few shifts for us. And I'm sure he'll be playing in the cup as well. Uh, come Peterborough. Um, so now let's get some suggestions off you two. Um, We'll start with Lucas. Just one suggestion, please. The position and the player that you think is most important to fill this January transfer window. See, this is really tough because I can't. I'm finding it really hard to pick between two positions. No, no, and... no, 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 no. <laughs> this was this was this um... is what I said. We need to have one position. We just make a gut call. One position, one player. I cannot decide. Um, I think if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have to decide, yeah, it sure. would be it's gonna it's gonna have to be centre back because of a, a shortage of backup options. Because if one of Dicky Dumbarbo gets injured, then it's it's Marston, and then if and then if another one gets injured, then there's very then we're gonna have to play someone out of position. So I think centre back should be a priority. Perhaps maybe um, like a young centre back in in the Premier League, someone like like someone who someone like Man City or Liverpool, somewhere like that, or like someone who's doing well in the lower end of the Championship, for example. Or um, uh, um, a a derby centre back if they go if they do go down. Um, or maybe a top centre back in League One, um, but I think a, a centre back. I'm, I'm gonna say centre back and a name. I'll, I'm not sure on the name. I'm sure. I'll, I'm sure I'll find a name. Okay, Dan, your position. Your position. Well, who do you want to bring in in January? Who for the most important position? Um, for me, it's Kenshi Anderson um, of Blackpool. I mean, he's been one of my favourite Championship players to watch this season. Um, He's a brilliant ball carrier. He creates a load of chances, obviously, in a um, Neil Critchley system, um, which can help release the burden of our reliance on Willock. Um, he's quick and sharp in movements. He's great athleticism. And a bonus is he, he presses well. Obviously, Critchley's side are known for pressing. Obviously, that doesn't directly translate into a Warburton side, but it offers a bit more energy off the board from the front yeah I mean 
obviously before before the links I liked him, but now we're linked with him, that makes it even better. Yeah, um, good suggestion there. I wasn't going to bring this up till um, later. Well, okay, Lucas, go ahead. Um, I've I found a name, Phil Jaglielka. He has left Derby and is now a free agent. He has left Derby officially. Right. Wow. That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the 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 big thing is the fact that he's like two hundred and fifty. Uh, <laughs> well, Warburton, to be fair, has said he wants an experienced centre back, so at least that fits the bill. Yes, I think but that's it doesn't fit Lucas's young centre back <laughs> bill. I would like to, I would like to hastily retract my statement and say Phil Jaglialka. No, the, the thing is, is that I've seen a lot of people suggest a few different transfers so far this window. And Warburton's been very clear in who he wants. He wants an experienced player. We've got an experienced goalkeeper now in Marshall. Um, but I don't think we're going to be signing the likes of Jack Rodoni or whatever at Wimbledon because he is younger than... He, well, Lucas, you're like... How old are you? Um, I'm 16, 17 in three weeks. Well, he looks like he could have been doing his GCSEs with you last year. So like, it's just, it, there's no way that we're going to be signing like players like that. It's going to be the, the um, players for, at the For a bit end. of context, he's 20 years old and oh my God, um, he wouldn't look out of place in my year. No, he wouldn't. He looks very young. Um, so yeah, we're not going to be signing players like him. We're going to be signing experienced players. So Phil Jagielka, I'm sure is probably... Not right up the top, but it's fair enough because it does fit the sort of remit that Warburton was going to go out with. Um, I wasn't going to mention this earlier until later, until we did the West Brom preview, and I wasn't really going to have a suggestion myself, but I thought I'd bring it up anyway. Uh, considering that West Brom have now signed uh, Daryl Dyke from, is it, it was Orlando? Orlando Pilots. Orlando Pirates. Okay, yeah, so they've signed him from the USA and obviously they have Jordan Hugel on the books there on loan from Norwich. But Hugel's loan has been woeful. He's not really played well enough at all. He's only got one goal or something like that. Um, and there's there were suggestions in the uh, interview that Clive from Off the Words did with the West Brom fan this week as part of the preview for tomorrow's game. Um, and they, he's the West Brom fan said in that, and there's there's been some suggestions that Hugel's loan might be terminated at Norwich. Now, I'm not one to sort of subscribe to the we need a fourth striker argument. Um, the maybe it's become a little bit more interesting the fact that we're going to lose Gray at the end of January for three games to Jamaica, which is. There isn't an international break there, is there? That's just like they've done, they've for some reason there's international games for Jamaica at that point. I'm not quite sure why, but regardless, we are going to go down to two strikers for a bit. And you know what? I would just like to see Hugh come home. That's all. That's all I want. Like it just, I would just like to see Jordan come and play for us again. I don't care about Naki Wells. I want to see Jordan. He's so infuriating yet so brilliant at the same time. I loved him. Um, so yeah, it would be nice to have Hugo back for the back end of the season, just a you know, an additional uh striker if it was viable. I, I would just like to see Jordan Hugel come home. That's the only reason, really. There's no real tactical brilliance behind it or anything like that. We might not even really need him, but I would rather see him playing for QPR, where he's slightly more loved than other clubs at the moment. Dan. Lucas, what do you think? Jordan Hugel? I mean, I love, I love him, but no, no, not for me. I mean, was it we... I get the two-striker debate when Gray goes, but we're, we're going to bring in a number 10. So we'll just go back to two tens, one striker. Don't, yeah. we, we already pay Gray's wages on, from Premier League Club Watford. So do we really want to be paying Hugel's wages as well for him to get the odd game? Do we pay Austin's, his full wages? Austin will have more sulks. <laughs> yeah. Wait, do, do we pay um, Gray's whole wage or do we split it? It'll probably, probably split, be split. Probably, about, probably about 20 grand. I, re- I, wouldn't, I reckon so. Uh, I, as much as I love Hugel, and I think, he's a, I think he was a great striker for us, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider it. Um, 
it's interesting though, isn't it? Because Hugo, like Wells, went away to a, a different club after being successful with us. And everyone's expected both of them to go on and score plenty of goals, but it's not quite, maybe not quite the player that caused that goal scoring form. Uh, you know, it's more the, you know, because it's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because last season when we weren't scoring goals, people were pointing at, we've lost goals from Hugel and Wells. But then why I said at the time was, well, I think you could put anyone at the front of Chair, Eze, Osai, Samuel, and they, any striker would be scoring that amount of goals. You know, you've seen that now a bit with Dykes. And once you take Hugel and Wells away from that QPR team, they're not actually as good. So it's kind of a bit of both. But it's an interesting thing in that these players are just not as good away from QPR. Okay, so now for this next portion of the podcast, we are joined once again for the first time in a while, actually, by uh, Micah Chudley. Welcome. It has been a while. It has been a while. Uh, so, yeah, we've been just talking about transfers. Let's go straight to you with your suggestion then. Who would you want to see come into the side? What's the most important position to cover? Um, well, this is arguably not the most important position. And to be honest with you, it's not the most important position, but I don't care because I want us to sign in. But um, I, I do feel as though, and I think the club are looking for a number 10, I do feel as though we are in need of somebody outside of Chair and Willock that can score. Um, so this next player that I've gone with is a 10, but can play as a striker. Uh, I've gone with Scott Twine um, at MK Dons. Uh, 22 years old. It's his first season there, but I think he is widely expected to leave, if not in January this summer. Um, unfortunately, like most players QPR after, Forrest are in for him as well. Um, but I just think right age, 22 years old, he's kind of done his um, EFL experience with Swindon and now with a season at MK Dons. Looks more than capable in League One, I think he's got 11 goals this season and something like nine assists. I might be wrong. Probably should have done my research a bit better. Um, but I just think, realistically, the most natural step up now for him is playing in the Championship. Um, and um, I was saying the other day, I think at the moment, we have a situation where I feel as though we've got Dykes that does one thing for us. And to be fair, he does what he does, he does quite well for us. Um, I feel as though we've got Gray, who is kind of our secret weapon against teams that press. He does work quite hard. Um, hasn't quite been able to get the goals coming consistently, but I think he's probably our most dangerous striker. Um, but he is on loan. Um, and I feel as though we need to really address the striker position long term, or at least the 10 position long term, especially if we're going to lose Chet. And I don't know, I feel as though Scott Twine is kind of a uh, sort of a natural fit into what we're trying to do at the moment. So that would be my suggestion. Okay, so we have Scott Twine, Jordan Hugel, uh, Keshi Anderson and Phil Jagielka. Um, <laughs> what a combo. That, the general consensus from two of the four of us here is that the number 10 position is one that needs strengthening. So or not strengthening, like with the view to the future, as Micah said. So that there's our sort of suggestions for this transfer window. But moving on, we have got the small matter of a three o'clock Saturday kickoff against West Brom. It's Queen's Park Rangers versus West Brom. The most Friday night Sky Sports <laughs> game you will ever find. And yet it is tomorrow at three o'clock to the joy of QPR fans everywhere and probably more to the joy of West Brom fans, because I don't imagine how they would have been getting back from London tonight uh, after that kickoff, if it was going to be that way. So is everyone excited for this tomorrow? Yeah, I think um, I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to pass some very, very bold statements here. Um, they, these not only bold, is this, Lucas, you've made not a... only is this our most important game of the season by a long shot, 
Because if you look at the positions in the league now, we're, we're fifth, West Brom are fourth. If we win, we go above them with a game in hand. And I genuinely believe that if we win this match, we will get promoted at the end of the season. That is the... Jesus Christ, Lucas. Lucas, you've got that on tape now. That's on tape. Lucas, we've still got halfway the season to go. That is... Bloody hell, man. You're about to look like a genius or you're going to be laughed at at the end of the season. Hopefully, hopefully it'll end happily ever after, but... Lucas, how it, how this, can I how can I not clip this little portion of the podcast <laughs> just for future yeah, reference? Found your promo. That's the promo right think, I think this, this. I think this game the the importance of it cannot be lost. It's so important. Also, good thing it's not on Sky as well because we probably would have. Um, we probably would have. I mean, I'm not going to go as far as as Lucas did, um, but I will say this is definitely one of our biggest games of the season so far, and I think. The result of this will determine whether we go on to sort of try and challenge for the top two or whether we just are a playoff team. I think I think if we if we win this game, we put ourselves in a really good position to challenge for the top two. But also, as Dan said, it is January. So this could all mean nothing if we lose the next three games. Yeah. But I mean, for me, challenging for the top two is us overperforming. All I wanted this season yeah. was, I, I mean, I'm going to say, it's going to sound really, really big-headed of me, but all I wanted this season was playoffs. Um, mm. But that isn't exactly unrealistic, seeing how we've played, probably not to our best ability, um, and we're still in the playoffs at this point in time with a few games in hand. Um, but yeah, there, there is a sense, I guess, that, this is a big chance for us to get one over on a team close to us. Because if you think about the teams around us that we've played, we haven't really performed well enough. Playing away at West Brom was a weird selection, tactical decision by Warburton, and we co- it cost us in the end. We've been played off the park by Fulham. We've been played off the park by Bournemouth. We were unlucky against Bournemouth in, at their place. Um, thinking Forest as well was a disappointing one. They're not sort of like right next to us, but they're up there. Uh, apart from, say, what, Blackburn? I can't think. Who else is in the playoffs at the moment? Coventry? We haven't really... You know, these are... if you, You've got to beat these teams as well if we're going to be, as Mike says, challenging for the top two, which changes day by day, really. Um, but after that derby game, going into Stoke, it really felt like that challenge for the top two was on with the fact that Fulham had dropped loads of points and Bournemouth were dropping points and we kind of screwed up against Stoke. But we're still hanging in there in the playoffs, which is an important thing. Uh, So let's look at the actual things that will happen tomorrow. Team selection. Marshall's going straight in, isn't he? There's no debate over that. Marshall, number 25, I think he's got, will be starting for us. But apart from that, any changes really, there's it was a quite a strong side put out against Rotherham, but do we want to see any changes? What sort of strike partnerships are we going with? I think we're looking for Thomas definitely. Sorry, Dan, but it's it's just formidable. Um, <laughs> formidable. I think. Uh, do you mean inevitable? Inevitable. That's the one. Um, <laughs> read it out, please. Um, so it's going to be. It's inevitable that. Um, like, it's, inev- it's, it's inevitable that we'll we'll play ahead of Thomas. Who who's up top? I'm not hundred percent sure. I reckon it. I reckon. Um, oh God. Um, honestly, great. I wouldn't be surprised if we go a bit defensive and perhaps have three midfielders, and then we're playing just Pine Dykes um, or something like that. And so so we, so it's easier for us to take the game to West Brom if you like. But yeah, no, I think usual back usual back five. Um, and then, I th- I think it I think we'll only go one up top tomorrow. Have an extra central midfielder playing behind Willock. I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't rule that out against a team like West Brom. The thing is, in this interview that Clive did with the West uh, West Brom fan, he they they suggested that West Brom have struggled against teams that sit in against them, and kind of saw that the first time around. And I did sort of think, oh yeah, we could you know try and some do something a little bit different. We maybe you know. Don't don't necessarily dominate possession like we did against Birmingham, where we sort of sacrificed a bit more possession against them. 
And then I thought, that's what we did do up in, at West Brom. And maybe too defensive, but we still tried to do something different and we tried to go for that sort of, not you know, letting them have a lot of the ball and sitting in and trying to sort of just frustrate them for the whole game. Um, so obviously that's probably not the way to do it at home. Um, but, you know, for their for all the supposed quality in that side, there is a decline to West Brom, isn't there, over the last couple of seasons. They've found it harder to get back into the Premier League. And then when they've been in the Premier League, they've been shocking, like really, really bad. And they're still struggling with that now. Um, but, you know, what, what have we thought of West Brom this season when we've seen him play? Micah, you want to... Um... Surprised, I would say. I think um I think obviously with Ishmael going there, I think everybody thought, wow, he overachieved massively with Barnsley. What he's gonna do with this West Brom championship super team, he's gonna walk the league. Um, I think that was always a little bit unrealistic just because of the fact that Bournemouth were kind of just rate, waiting for the right manager to take over and Fulham have Mitrovic. But I still did feel as though, I think I said on the pod once around the start of the season that I said it's kind of those three teams, Fulham, West Brom and Bournemouth and then the rest of the league. But it looks as though West Brom have actually quite struggled. Um, I know the fans are struggling to kind of get on board with this style of play, which I always find quite funny because, you know, they had Sam Allardyce as manager not long ago, and you know that st- that style of play was about ten times like more horrific. But you know, each to their own. I- I've got to be honest. I feel as though they are beatable, um, especially having gone to the um, away game. I d- I don't really see them as that same level as Fulham and Bournemouth. Um, good side, obviously. Great players. Great players with championship experience. I think one of the best managers in the league, but I don't think, and this is probably going to come back and bite me, I don't think that they are that special, in my opinion. Yeah. Dan, what what have you thought of West Brom when you've seen them? Probably on a Friday night, probably on Sky. Yeah. Um, Like Mike said, a bit of a mixed one. I mean, they don't have too many ball players on their side, so I don't don't think it surprises me that they've gone to that system. Obviously, they've built first mill. Underlying word number wise, they're actually pretty impressive. Obviously, that doesn't really match up at the end of the day, but I think their defensive record is one of the best in the league. They still do create a ton of chances, but their main issue has been all season, like we touched on with you earlier. They they just can't score many goals. I mean, some people are skeptical over XG, but they've scored thirty one goals a season, and they've created an XG of forty five. So they're underperforming by fourteen, which is Jeez. massive in the league. Jeez. And whether, XG whether is like better over a season, really, isn't it? As a yeah, yeah, metric, course, it's be- rather than in a game, it's it's a bit more uh, worthy as a stat. Yeah, when it's stretched for, over a longer period. For half halfway through the season, and they're they're underperforming by fourteen uh, worth worth of goals is is ridiculous. Hmm. Um, Can I ask a question, Dan? Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, go on, go on. Is that that's got to be the highest in the league, surely? Yeah, yeah, it's the highest yeah. underperformance in the league. Yeah. Um, Fourteen. I mean, with 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 DK coming in, I don't think I think someone put on the group earlier that he's not going to start, but he might get some minutes. I mean, they're paying seven mil for a striker that no A knows the system, and B we uh, has been clinical at Barnsley before. So I do imagine with the arrival of DK that they are going to improve somewhat. But um, no, that when I found that stat, I was pretty staggered to be fair, and it kind of sums up with the fact that Hugo was not doing all too well. Yeah, you mentioned it there, uh, the new signing they've made, Dyke coming in like for a massive amount of money for a you know uh, a striker to play in the championship. Um, it does feel like, and obviously he's got, they, they're trying to be a bit of a Barnsley tribute act, um, which hasn't really sort of come off because West Brom, as been pointed out many a times, have an ageing squad. Um, in the midfield of Livermore and Murat, I think, is... You know, Moat was scoring quite a few goals for Barnsley, and you were hearing about it really like all the time. But he doesn't really score, does he, for West Brom? Um, so it's, it seems to be a bit of a 
poor tribute act at the moment. And it's just, for me, the, the funny thing is that Barnsley really overachieved last season, obviously. And you can see that now with once they've lost their, you know, really important players and their manager, they're at the wrong end of the table. But, you know, if you were to compare what, what Barnsley did with what West Brom want to do, they still failed by West Brom's sort of expectations. This wasn't necessarily, um, you know, you know, like Mikey, you're saying that you think thought they were not going to walk it, but be right up there and be re- a really good side. But Barnsley didn't get promoted, and they got played not off the park, but they were quite comfortably beaten by Swansea in the end in the playoffs. So it's not mm. quite, it not obviously it wasn't, it's not the finished article. And it wasn't I think, necessarily before then. I think one thing for me is that particular style of play of like intense pressing and direct football. I wonder if that is more suited to kind of being an underdog instead of kind of having to be like the, the protagonist of most games. Mm-hmm. I remember when um, when Ole was at United, people were talking about United <laughs> attacking and they were like, oh, well, is counter-attacking football the best option for a team that wants to try and win the league. And I I wonder if it's the same with this particular style of play, like Barnsley overachieved. Barnsley were like tipped by a few people to go down and made the playoffs. And obviously they, in the end, just didn't have enough quality to beat Swansea, like you said. But I wonder if that is what the problem is here. Like West Brom fans want them to be more aggressive, to control games, not more aggressive, but to obviously control games more, have more of the ball. And obviously Ishmael's comfortable enough, you know, being more direct and not having to yeah. work it into the box. And with the lack of goals as well, it's obviously not entertaining enough. They don't really score that often, obviously. Um, no. So regardless of how many chances you create in a match, it's goals that you actually go to see. So I think for a lot, it's really the, I think that the general atmosphere in um, at West Brom, it's starting to sour a little bit and they've kind of expected an instant change, but this is the sort of side that needs a bit of a long-term project. Um, and I'm not going to say Ishmael's perfect for that, but it's going to take a long time for him to implement that style, I guess. Uh, and there's a lot of players there that have been promoted before and they might just expect to get promoted at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um you know, again, going back to that interview, Clive suggested that this is a team very similar to the uh, Harry Redknapp promotion winning side. Mm. People, you know, a lot of experienced names there, lots of players that have been promoted, too many players perhaps, not an over and not a massive amount of quality, struggling to get over the line, carried by you know one or two players uh, mm. in. West Brom's case, it seems to be Carlin Grant, who's scored nine goals in 25 games, and then Callum Robinson, who scored six in 24. Now, you guys might disagree with me here, but Callum Robinson, I think, and this is going to come back and bite us so badly, because I thought the same thing before Grant scored against us when we played them earlier on the season. But I just think they're so average. Like, I just don't think they're very good at all. I want to agree with you, Alex, but it's just going to come back and bite me. So I'm not going to well, say Well, I've anything. said it now so you can jump in the <laughs> sinking ship with me. The thing that Alex said might be right. There we go. That's all I'm going to say. Um, of course, the other thing, I, the last time I said something like that was when we were about to play Sheffield United and Ollie McBurney. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the game got postponed. So that wasn't exactly the worst outcome for me after putting my neck on the line there. Um, I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Obviously, Sam Johnson suspended. It's going to be interesting to see how they fare without um, Alex Moat. Um, I think he's had he's had quite a good season for them. This see obviously someone that knows the system. So I, I do wonder. Lucas was saying, obviously, about putting that extra man in midfield. I do wonder if it's going to be a case of their best midfielders out. We're going to try and control the midfield a little bit more. I don't know. I'm just... So he's out as well. Was it? Is he out for an injury? Nah, he was sent off. Was I think. He sent... When he was he? Well, if I missed that one out as well. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because there was three, was wasn't it? Off. Yes. Yeah, when he got sent red. off two weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So he. Just, so he's definitely out for tomorrow. Yeah. 
although, yeah. although, although it, it it does look like I'm just looking at Fogbob now. It does look, it says nothing about Johnston and Mallet being suspended. Well, they, they they got sent off for violent conduct, which is two games. Should yeah, be straight yeah. red, yeah. Because it, it like the straight red doesn't necessarily mean you get back the three game. It's that there's straight reds for different reasons, and mm. I think violent conduct, which one of them definitely it was Johnson who got in the fight, wasn't he, at the end of the game? Yeah. I think that's two games, which would have been the FA Cup and then the then back in the league again. So and you know Johnson's definitely out because. Everyone's saying that Button is starting for West Brom. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so I assume Moat's out as well. Of course, they've also got uh, Kipre is suspended yeah. for. Kipre's definitely suspended. Siving down a player. Sammy Ajay's at AFCON and O'Shea is obviously a long term injury as well. So. Do they, have, do they have disciplinary issues or something? They have had six reds in their last 12 games. Good Lord. That suppose, is... that comes with, suppose that comes with the pressing, but that doesn't really, it wasn't really an open play, was it? It was fights after. Yeah, that it, there's yeah, just a yeah, problem there with aggression. It's a bit similar to uh, Dribble Cissé's record for us in the Premier League. Goal or uh, red card? Three, three red cards and two yellows. Sorry, three red cards and five yellows in the last two games. Wow. Mm. Um, so, yeah, let's have a look at sort of, you know, what can we expect from them? Do we obviously buttoning goal? I think there's some suggestion that Furlong might have to play out position, perhaps at centre back, which he, we've seen when he's played for us. He's not exactly the worst there. In fact, I think a lot of people yeah. said that he was a better centre back than right back. So, what what are we expecting from West Brom tomorrow, team wise? Dan, do you want to start? Um, team wise, uh, uh, so obviously Button Bartley apparently has been assessed, so I don't. I imagine they'll try and get him fit. Is Matt Clark still fit? I think I think Matt Clark's fit. so pretty Matt Clark, Bartley if he's fit and maybe Furlong, like you said. I'm interested in the midfield though, because obviously Mauer's injured and they've got that Gardner Hickman, that youngster. But whether he's been playing centre mid and right wing back. So it looks like they're a bit worse for worse for wear in one of the positions, whether Furlong goes centre back. Hickman goes right wing back, I'm not too sure. But imagine Livermore playing centre midfield with Connor Townsend at left back. A good player, Connor Townsend. Um, and then I'd imagine the front three would be Callum Robinson, Carlin Grant, and Jordan Hugel. But whether Hugel starts will be another question. And then obviously DK, I imagine, will be on the bench. So, I mean, in terms of what you expect from them, you expect them, like Michael said, to be direct, balls up to Hugel. Runners beyond with Carlin Grant and Robinson, um, and then it would just be all about um, creating a narrow shape and counter pressing us on the other ball. So, I suppose what we could do is when we play the two strikers in Gray and Dykes, we do tend to play a bit more direct. So we just look for the long ball over the top when they 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 have a high line and they're counter pressing us, and we look to go beyond. And you've just kind of stolen my next question sorry, I'm going to ask it anyway so Micah kind of in comparison to the way we played last time uh, and with other recent performances in mind as well what can we do that's a little bit better to beat West Brom tomorrow I absolutely sound like I've not prepared and copied exactly what Dan said but I imagine we do go with Dykes and Gray up top um, I see what Lucas is saying about the extra man in midfield um, but I just I feel as though typically when we come up against these um these gag and pressing sides, um, he does go with Gray. That seems to be his outlet in behind. Um, on top of that, West Brom quite a physical team. I do think we're gonna need a big striker next to Gray. So I imagine he goes with Dykes and Gray. Um what I'm interested to see is who plays in midfield with Willock and Yohan. Because I imagine it'll be Willock behind the two. And Johansson, I imagine, will play. I'm interested to see who he goes for next to him. I think it'll be one of Field or Amos. It's going to be Field or Amos. Yeah, absolutely going to be Field or Amos. I personally would go for Sam Field. I think his last two performances have been quite good. And I think for the last 20 minutes, at the first 
<laughs> the first 70, he was abysmal at Bristol City, but the last 20, I thought he was really good. Um, and in the past two games after that, I think he's been decent. Is it two games or one, one game? Birmingham, sorry. Against Birmingham, I thought he was good. I would go with him. I think as well, it just kind of gives us a little bit of extra pr- protection defensively. I think he's more naturally inclined to defend than Amos is. Um, and Amos is really good off the bench as well, isn't he, for that sort of energy and yeah. pressing the side when the other sides are getting tired, especially if we're yeah. chasing the game. So I don't mind Amos coming off the bench at all. Yeah, so I suppose that, that would be my front five, I suppose. And I imagine, at least striker-wise, Warburton will be with them two strikers. Yeah. So West Brom are on a bad run at the moment, and this kind of leans into what Lucas was saying about there being a chance for us here and it being very important. They've lost... Sorry, they've won just two of their last 10 games. A lot of draws in that time. Two of those draws were with against Cardiff and Barnsley. And then they also lost 1-0 to Derby. So they've played three of the bottom four and not got only taken two points off of them, um, which has allowed us to get a bit closer, especially even with our suspensions to games, we've got closer to them in the table. Um so, you know, like we said, there is a big chance for us tomorrow. Um, whilst we're still on the topic, let's have some predictions. Starting with Lucas in this game that's going to make or break our season, apparently. Oh, um, you better be to win. <laughs> yeah, we're going to lose now, actually. We're not <laughs> we're not promoted. Promoted. <laughs> it's going to be entertaining, that's for sure. Uh, this is really hard to predict, but I'm going to say it's going to be a 2 2 draw. Oof. What does that no, mean for the season, Lucas? What does it mean? We're going up, we're staying in the championship. What does I, it mean? We'll get oh, top fuck. six. Other than that, I can't I can't say. Oh, well, you just said it about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, you let right. us see Micah. Oh, God, I hate doing these. I'm always wrong. Um, <sighs> Come on, let me brave. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two one Rangers. Two one Rangers. Dan, uh, you got one right a couple of weeks ago. Did you get the Rotherham one correct? No, I don't think you did. Did you? I don't remember. Don't remember. Uh, anyway, let's have a suggestion, a prediction from you, please. Um, well, with you listening off West Brom's results, realistically, it's a three 0 West Brom win. But I'm gonna go for a one 0 draw. Cool. Okay. Um, the, the other thing to mention about tomorrow's game is that we have a new kit to play in which has caused, not derision, but some sort of confusion amongst the QPR fan base. It's apparently 140 years of QPR, uh, though, you know... It feels like it too. Sorry? I said it feels like it too, 140 years. And 138 of those years, we've been absolutely shit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, No, the the thing is uh, that I saw in reply to one of the tweets from the club about this was uh, Paul Finney um, was me- mentioned the fact that this is only like, it's like the 140th anniversary of it's like that not, it's not the right anniversary basically is the point he was making it sort of like two years too early or something. Um, just amongst yourselves, what, what do you think of the kit anyway? A nice kit, like- that's for sure. Yeah, I like, I like the, the badge. The, um, the two QPR fans created, it, didn't they? Um, yeah, I think I think they did actually. Yeah, yeah, like a lovely badge. Yeah, I think the badge is the one thing that everyone's sort of gone. Yes, that is uh, just the right. That's what we want, isn't it? Really, from the badge. It's, I think my dad probably dislikes it because it's a bit too similar to that old um, badge, which he didn't actually. He he never liked because he associated it with like. What's his name? Um, the is it Palladini? What's his name? Yeah, Briatore Palladini. Um, like just before, Palladini. just before Briatore, oh, yeah. like that sort of. Yeah, Gianni Palladini. Yeah. Yeah. So like it was a again a bit of a nightmare there. But then to be honest, for me, like, and I guess probably for Micah as well, that's when I started supporting QPR. So like that badge is iconic for me. Um, in a, I don't know, in a weird way. Um, yeah. So I found, I think this it's four years too early it's meant i understand because we it's 1882 on everything qpr and that's, that's yeah years, isn't it? um, it's something to do with 
the fact that it was like, um, hold on, because it it has it. You know, th this is the weird thing that people sort of like lose their minds over for some reason, isn't it? Um, and there seems to be quite a lot of sort of just I don't know, not discussed, but the it's 60 quid for the kit as well. Um, okay, this is it, yeah. So Paul Finney said that it was 1886 when Qu Queen's Park Rangers was born. Because um, there's no, there isn't, obviously, like, before then, it's because it's the merger of the two clubs, isn't it? St. Jude's and then there's another one. It's the merger of the two clubs, and apparently that's when QPR was founded. But you, so only the club did their own... No well, history. It kind of like in a sense, the thing that became QPR was founded on that in that year, whatever. But uh, according to Paul Finney, the St. Jude thing, like it was yeah. St. Jude. Yeah. Oh, you I mean, won't find a a mention of QPR before 1886, um, which is true apparently. So it's not the right <laughs> year. Fair enough, I guess. <laughs> I, mean, um, fair enough. Yeah. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Just sport the fun, Alex. Yeah. Sorry? Just sport the, the fun of our, <laughs> our kit talk. Um, the, the thing is, um, I also think 140 years is a weird year to do it on. Is it not? Not wait. Why not like, wait 10 more years for it to be 150? Yeah. That's a genuine milestone, isn't it? Sell more yeah. kits, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, yeah. yeah. £60, £60 yeah. kit in the shop. Well, QPR keep on finding new inventive ways to steal my money. Um, and turns out that inventive way is just pump out a new special kit every season. Um, Work too. I'm going to get myself one, to be honest. <laughs> to be fair, that, that fire nod one last year, the uh, the red and white, that was that was nice. But, yeah, what was, was that say... one for again? Sorry? What was that red and white one for again? That was in... <sighs> in... I can't, I can't remember. Was it for in the anniversary of that team? Something. It was like October. It was October to November. <laughs> it was down when back, I was back in the team, innit? Like, <laughs> wow, well, the one team that did well once. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, does this? Where, where does this kit rank in our other special kits? We're thinking the gr green and white one to celebrate 100 years at Loftus Road. There was the all-white one to celebrate the League Cup victory, and then obviously the white one. final the white one. All-white all, all the way. All-white, that was a thing of beauty. Okay. The goalkeeper kit was gorgeous as well. Is that all green? Um, I think it was green. Don't quote me on this, but I think it was green shirts, black shorts, and white socks. Okay. The only thing we'll quote you on is the fact that if we don't win tomorrow... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's the that's our kit talk done. Finally, uh, we were running out of time in this podcast. Um, we've had a few international players; they've done well, haven't they? Uh, Senny's kept two clean sheets. Chair's not played at all. Uh, but yeah, Afcon's a bit mad, a Aussie bit fruity. Kept a clean sheet as well. Aussie kept like a clean sheet yeah. against the against Rab holders. against the team featuring Riyad Mahrez, which is fantastic. That's really that's good for him. In fairness, it's just. A mad tournament. I've enjoyed watching what I have watched. It's not the best quality, but it is great fun to watch at times. Uh, so it's been slightly devalued by its coverage by Sky and BBC, but it's fantastic. So definitely watch it. And if I get the opportunity, I'm going to be watching Senny if Mendy is still uh, stricken with COVID. Very quickly, though, we've got something new to promote on, on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to hand over to Micah for this Michael, just quickly explain what you are setting up. Yeah, very quick one. I've been teasing this for like a month now, but um, I've just started a new Twitter page. Uh, it's called Life in Blue and White. It's at underscore L-I-B-A-W. Um, website is coming along the way. Essentially, what it is, is just a lot of uh, QPR-related content, uh, you know, just talking points, my nostalgia, all sorts of stuff. You know, it's all lots of fun. Um, obviously, some of it is going to be linked to the podcast as well. Um, so, yeah, give it a follow and look out for Monday or Tuesday, I believe, our first article is coming out. It's on wingbacks. I do have to thank Dan a little bit for that article. He doesn't know it yet, but he actually helped me out with that one. So, um, yeah, keep your eye out for that one. 
Fantastic. And that is the end of this week's podcast. So thank you very much for listening yet again. Please uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll try and get the podcast there. Also, important to note that on Spotify and I think on Apple Podcasts as well, you can leave us a rating. Now, if you'd like to boost our egos and give us five stars, that would be really nice. Uh, and we haven't actually got any ratings yet. So please go and be the first to give us a rating on Spotify. Five stars only, please. Uh, the other thing to mention is that we have now got an email address that you can contact us on if you need to, for whatever reason, if you've got a question for us, if there's something that you would like us to discuss. So if you want to get in contact with us, it's alexrgen at yahoo.com. And that is everything to cover for this week. So thank you very much again to Lucas Ross, to Micah Chudley and to Dan Lambert for joining me. All of three of these fantastic people are on Twitter. And obviously Micah has just told you about Life in Blue and White, which if you're not following, he will find you and he will make you follow a lot of people to find at the moment (laughs) (laughs) same thing about dan and his Substack. he will come after you he wants you to read about his analysis oh i don't come after people i'm not some sort of predator okay (laughs) thanks so much for listening and till next time come on you ours